Genesis chapter 9. When you get there, pick up in verse 18. Genesis 9:18. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. And that is, like everything else in Scripture, that's purposefully there. We're going to need that information here in just a minute that Canaan is the son of Ham. Look down at verse 19. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine, and was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. That means he was naked. And if that makes you feel dirty, polluted, things like that, that's exactly the point. That's why the scripture is revealing this. It shows something of how the Lord views sin. It's dirty. It's disgusting. It's polluted. It's filthy. Verse 22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. He wakes up to this drunken stupor and he knows what happened. He knows that Ham saw his nakedness. He knows Ham told his brothers about it. He didn't cover that sin. He went and he told people about it. But look what he does. Verse 25, and he said, cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Shem and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth. And he shall dwell in the tents of Sham, and Canaan shall be his servant. And have you noticed there, Ham was the one who witnessed Noah's defilement. Ham was the one that went and told his brothers about it. But when Noah wakes and he knows it was Ham, he doesn't curse Ham. He curses who is underneath Ham, Canaan. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you this morning in the name of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we beg that you would meet with us here this morning, Lord, that your Spirit would dwell in us and upon us, that we might be able to worship you and you would open this passage of Scripture to us, Lord, that we might see in glory, Lord, and be thankful for the everlasting quality of your grace. Lord, bless us, keep us, save us, be with our pastor as he's away, and be with all your people everywhere as they meet here today. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Noah's a notable figure in the scriptures, obviously. man lived to be 950 years old. But to understand Noah's complete story, we've got to go back a little bit. We've got to go back to Genesis chapter 6, when Noah actually found grace. So turn over there real quick. Go over to Genesis 6. And we'll pick up with a very familiar passage of Scripture, one verse, that all of us in this room are probably very familiar with. It's verse 5. And it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, in that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. These are the times of Noah, and when the Lord looked down on the earth, this is what he saw. The wickedness of man, all men without exception, was great. And that every imagination of the thoughts of the collective heart, all of them, were only evil in that continually. Now my son Tuck, at a very young age, has become something of a history buff. And so right now he watches a lot of historical documentaries and it's kind of weird, to be quite honest. <laughs> And he watches it all, right? Anything from wars, right, to the rises and falls of empires. And what he's starting to find out and what he's starting to see is that everything in history is cyclical. Everything moves in a cycle. The reasons that nations went to war 3,000 years ago, the same reasons that nations go to war today. Uh, the reasons that an empire fell 2,000 years ago, the mismanagement of the government, the mismanagement of the economics, it's the same reason that empires fall nowadays. None of that changes History never changes, times never change, and it's for this reason, because people don't change. What God saw during the times of Noah, every imagination of the thoughts of their heart were only evil and that continually. That's what he sees in this generation. That's what he sees in every generation after this, if the Lord's not pleased to come back sooner, and everyone before us is just like that. And here's the important part. Noah is no exception. This speaks of Noah himself. But we know Noah found grace. Look down here. Look at verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I love that. How did he find it? He wasn't looking for it. He was just like everybody else. He had no interest in the grace of God. He had no interest in the gospel. He has no interest in Jesus Christ or the salvation that's found in him. Just living his life walking towards the gates of hell like everybody else, no different. Noah found grace. The better translation there is probably this, grace found Noah. And we talk about that. You call it fetching grace. You can call it arresting grace. I like hunting grace. It hunts you down. It finds you. When God is going to be gracious to a man, if he purposes that, he will be gracious. And here's the effects of grace. Look at verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, I can see somebody stumbling at that. I actually listened to a lot of messages from different people, none of the pastors we know, but some different folks, and they had a really hard time with that. They were trying to massage the language because if Genesis 6-5 says that man was a sinner like everybody else, and then over there in chapter 9 we see this man drunk and defiled in his tent, how can we call him just? How can we call him perfect? How can we call him a man who walked with God? Very simple, very easy. This is God's accurate and honest and true description of Noah in Christ and Christ in Noah. He's a just man. He was justified man. Christ justified him, bore his sins in his body on the tree put them away he was just before God he had no sin because in eternity past Christ was his lamb slain from the foundation of the world and he had no sin in Christ he was a just man he was perfect that means he was full he lacked nothing before God because Jesus Christ lacks nothing before God that's why and he walked with God Christ walked with the father he obeyed his father Perfectly. He did everything his father told him to do. Noah walked in Christ perfectly with God. It's Noah in Christ, but it's also Christ in Noah. 
That's the new man in Christ Jesus. Just, righteous, perfect, without sin. That's the new man that resides in every single believer. And you know what that new man does? He believes God. And that's exactly what Noah did. Before one drop of rain ever hit the earth, the Lord said, you build a boat, now get in. And he shut them in. And that ark carried him and his family and all them animals through those dangerous waters and delivered them safe on the other side. What a picture of Christ and him crucified. The new man in Christ Jesus. And when he got to the shores, after he had been delivered safe and sound, this just and perfect man who walked with God, what did he do? He got drunk and naked in his tent. That's what happened. Why? Because in him was the old man, the old nature, that old, wicked, sinful man that never gets any better, never improves in any way. He is exactly as he is born, a natural man, a wicked man. And every believer, we're going to struggle with that all the days of our life. The new man in Christ Jesus is going to own those sins. Those sins are still going to come out. That old man always commits sin. That's what he does. And they will be at war until the day we die and we put that sin down for good. But I think here's the comforting part and the thing that gives me a lot of hope here. While what Noah did probably had a damaging effect on his relationship with his family, while what he did was wrong and there was absolutely no excuse for it, it made absolutely no difference to his eternal standing before God. He was a just, a perfect man who walked with God before this incident, before this great sin. And you know what he was after that? He was a just and a perfect man who walked with God because his standing was not in himself. It was not in his works. It was not in the do's and don'ts of the law. His standing was in Christ. And since Christ cannot fail because he is perfect, because he has done everything his Father requires, we are eternally secure in him. He's a just man before the foundations of the world were ever built. He's a just man right now. And anybody who God determines to be merciful to, to be gracious to, to justify, they always have been that way, and they always will be that way, because Christ is the surety of that. Now, a question. Does that mean that that's an excuse for our sin, our outward conduct being poor in any way? No. No, not in any way. Our conduct, our outward character, our conversation, as Paul would put it, should always be above board. And you say, well, why is that? Salvation is by grace through faith, and that none of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Why does it matter? I'll give you three reasons. I'll give you three. And here's the first one. Because sin is evil, it is not good. I don't know about you. I'm tired of evil. I am tired of the evil that is in me. I am tired of the evil that is in this world. I am tired of watching the human race as a general rule just rip each other to shreds. I am exhausted by it. I am absolutely exhausted and I long for good. And that what's, that's what makes the, the character of Jesus Christ so precious. He's good. He's the only one that's good. I trust him. I trust what he has done. I trust what he says. I trust the decisions he's made. I trust all that because he's good. He cannot do wrong. He cannot be wrong. It's impossible. 
He must do good. Whatever he does, it's just good. It's perfect. It's best. Let the one who is good reign. And I'm so thankful for this, that this one that worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, he's not like me. He's good. Here's the second reason. For credibility's sake. I said it before, Noah was the leader of the entire world when he walked off that ark. See if you can enter into that. He was the preacher of his generation. He was the leader of his family. Everybody who came along, they wanted counsel, they wanted guidance. They looked up to Noah right here. After this thing he had done, do you think that Shem and Japheth had a hard time hearing him for a while? Do you think he had lost some credibility in their eyes? Yeah, I absolutely think he did. That's absolutely right. Think about Lot. Remember Lot, the Lord told Lot, well, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And he went in there and he tried to warn his sons-in-law. And what did they say back to him? Said, he's like one that mocks. This man's a fool. He's making a joke. We don't take him seriously. He didn't have any credibility with his sons-in-law right there. Now, what the scripture says is that we are ambassadors for Christ. And I like that role, ambassador. Everybody I meet. I have an opportunity to tell them about the Lord, I want to do that. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to be the offense. I don't want to be somebody who's hard to hear because of me. Now, if the gospel offends them, so be it. In fact, good. At least they heard something. But I don't want to be the offense for credibility's sake. Now, I'll give you the third reason right here. This is what 2 Corinthians 6.3 says. It says, giving no offense in anything, that the ministry be not blamed. Here's the main reason. I think this is bigger than all the rest of them. If I act out, right, my conduct is not good, it's not above board, the world sees that, right? And here's what's going to happen. The world is not going to blame me. The world will count me as a brother. They will not blame me. I'll tell you who they will blame, my master. And they will blame his message. They'll say, look at this man. This man claims to believe that salvation is completely by the grace of God, completely found in Jesus Christ. And look what it led to, this poor conduct right there. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. They won't blame you. They will blame your master. I have those three reasons right there. Now, here's another thing we see in this passage of Scripture. We see something about law versus grace. Look over at verse 22 of your text. Genesis 9, verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the wickedness of his father and told his two brethren without. Verse 24 now. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. Like I said before, Ham was the one who had witnessed the defilement. Ham was the one who reported on all this. And as a man, in a worldly sense, that is wrong. It's so wrong. Cover your brother's sin. Don't speak of it. Cover my sin. I'll cover yours. Ham saw it. Ham reported on what he saw. And he who was under Ham, not Ham himself, he who was under Ham, Canaan, was cursed. What's Ham a type of there? The law. What does the law do? It reports, it witnesses, it sees everything. It says, this is the defilement, this is the sin, and it reports on what it sees honestly. There wasn't anything dishonest about what Ham said. 
It was wrong, but it wasn't dishonest. It was the truth. It reports the truth. He's guilty. He's unclean. He's guilty before God. And everybody who's under the law, who are of the works of the law, they are under the curse. Now, first thing I would have to notice there is this. Ham wasn't cursed. There is absolutely nothing with God's holy law. It is beautiful and it is wonderful. It expresses the character of God, that he's holy, that he is right and righteous, that he has a hatred of sin, that he's completely and utterly just. This one is good. He's good. It's what it declares. He will not let any sin go unpunished. If he sees sin on a man, he must punish that man. He will have everything right and true in his kingdom. The law is good in that sense. Nothing wrong with the law. We love God's holy law. But remember the purpose of the law. It's a very simple purpose. It does absolutely nothing but expose sin. That's its only purpose. And to use it for any other purpose is an unlawful use of the law. Now, God's holy law is perfect. It's good. But... You don't want to be under that law. I want you to turn to a scripture real quick. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Now in another place in scripture, Paul would say this. He would say, the law is good if a man use it lawfully, there is a lawful use of the law. And to give you a very simple explanation of what that is, is to agree with it. What does the law say about me naturally? I am a sinner that I am guilty before God. That's the lawful use of the law. That's right. I'm a guilty man before God. And I look to Christ for all my fulfillment of that law. Now, look at what Paul says here in Galatians 3 verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of, law, book of the law to do them. Now he says here there is a cursed people in connection to the law. Those who are of the works of the law. What does that look like? It looks like a man, when he looks inside himself... He sees some sort of moral virtue. He has some ability to do that which is good. He has at least some ability to please God in some way, shape, and form through action, through the enactment of a will, through future intention, if something like that. It is a man who believes, I can muster something. There's something I can bring before God and he accept. He's of the works of the law. You know what that means? It means he is in fact cursed. Cursed by God. And here we have this. Paul points out this. There is no such thing as partial conformity. He's saying this. If you want to come by way of the law, if you want to come by the way of your own personal merit and goodness, okay, we'll see how that works out for you. But there's no partial conformity. If you're going to do the, the law, you must do the entire law. That means every law, every moment of every day, inwardly, outwardly, in every single respect. James put it like this, James 2.10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Not that any man 
has ever kept the law in any way, shape, or form. But even if he could, even if it was possible for him to keep one law one time, wouldn't do him any good. To break one is to break the entire thing. God demands perfect righteousness, perfect conformity to his holy law. If you come on these grounds, these grounds of your own personal merit and goodness in any way, you're a cursed man under the law. Now look what he says in verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it's evident. Based on what we just saw, the law must be kept. It must be kept completely, and men have absolutely no ability to keep the law in any way, shape, and form. You can't be saved by the law. It would be an unlawful use of the law to try to use the law as a mechanism for salvation. It's unlawful. It's no good. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. I'm so thankful for this. There's a group of people, and they're called the just. A group of people God chose, and he justified them. And he justified them through, not their faith, through the faithfulness of his son. It's completely and utterly based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, him doing what his father told him to do. And here's the evidence that you are, in fact, one of these people. You trust him. I don't want nothing to do with that old law. Absolutely nothing to do with it. I don't want to be under that law in any way, shape, or form. I'm not coming by way of the law. I come by him. This man right here. This man who lived for me. This man who died for me. This man who kept that law. That's how I come. And I come on absolutely no grounds looking to him and his righteousness alone. And here's what that looks like. What he actually did. Look at verse 12. And the law is not of faith. But the man that doeth them shall live in them. There is no mixture of law and works. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. We were all born cursed by the law. But Christ became the curse. He bore our curse, our sin in his body. He put it away for his people and that curse is no more now we're not under law we're under grace under the grace of God dealt with in just grace for Christ's sake I want to show you something go back to your text for a second now we saw what the law looked like Let's see what grace looks like. Verse 23. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. They knew about his defilement, but they didn't see it. They went in backwards. They took this mantle. It's the word. And they walked backwards and they covered Noah's nakedness and his defilement so that they couldn't see it and nobody else could see it as well. And that speaks of exactly what we read in that passage of scripture just a second ago. The Lord covering our sins. Making it to where he can't see it and no one else can see it either because we're just, truly just, our sins being taken away and us truly being righteous in Christ. But notice, all types break down, right? 
These men couldn't see Noah's defilement, but they knew about it. Ham had told them, right? Noah was covered. He was covered with this mantle, with this garment. But underneath that garment, he was still wicked. He was still defiled. He was still naked. Justification by grace is so much better. He takes that man that is wicked, that is sinful, that is defiled, and makes him to be the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. So much so that the father, when he looks at him, he sees no sin. When the law looks at him, he sees absolutely no sin. He is perfect in Jesus Christ. I'll stop there. Good place to go.